This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of The Other 14 Podcast. The only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. We've just had a double game week, every one of the other 14 featuring twice and what a collection of results we've had. Leicester have shown that they're up for a fight and the other 14 have taken the scalp of two Big Six teams. This week, as always, I'm joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. After this bumper game week and fixture congestion, are you all footballed out? Well, being the non-other 14 supporter of this duo, um, the weekend's results, I'm sort of happy to step away. But we have had quite the week. As you said, two of the other 14 teams have taken two big six scalps. We've had a managerial change and we just look forward to uh, what the rest of the season can give us. Yes, yeah, so now we've had 12 games per team pretty much I know there are a couple teams with games in hand but it's actually mad how close the table is still at this point in my mind in previous seasons it's a little bit more split up you can see who the kind of European breakaways are and the relegation favourites but if you look at mid-table the teams that are sitting in 10th and 11th West Ham and Brentford they're on 14 points apiece they're seven points from Champions League spot and only five points away from relegation yeah it's very bunched it is very very bunched um yeah it's just surprising and obviously all it takes is a couple of wins and a a bit of hot form from a team and suddenly they can propel themselves up the table that's the thing like a couple of good games here and there and you're sort of scrambling up the table with a couple of bad defeats or just you know a, a succession of draws you could be dropping down and it is sort of i don't want to put the mockers on it too early but it could be a fantastic finish if it keeps up like this. But let's just wait and see. Yeah, it does seem that it's gearing up for one of, uh, so far it looks like one of the closest relegation scraps we could have. And also, I suppose, at the top of the table as well. And challenges from the other 14 teams for those European places, which Absolutely. we will uh, we'll talk about very shortly. And Tom, before we delve into the big topics of the game weeks just gone, um, over to you with the classified results. Here are the classified results for match day 12 of the 22-23 season. Brighton Hove Albion nil, Nottingham Forest nil. Crystal Palace 2, Wolverhampton Wanderers. 1. AFC Bournemouth 0, Southampton 1. Brentford 0, 0. 1. West Ham United 0. Newcastle United 1, Everton 0. Fulham 3, Aston Villa 0. Leicester City 2, Leeds United 0. And here are the classified results for match day 13. Nottingham Forest 1, 0. Everton 3, Crystal Palace 0. 3, Brian Hove Albion 1. Aston Villa 4, Brentford 0. Leeds United 2, Fulham 3. Southampton 1, Arsenal 1. Wolverhampton Wanderers 0, Leicester City 4. 1, Newcastle United 2. West Ham United 2, 
AFC Bournemouth, nil. And that is a lot of games that have taken place between this pod and the last. These double game weeks are extremely hectic. They're mad. And to try and follow it all is a little chaotic. However, hopefully we can provide the breakdown that the football fans need out there. So I suppose as much as we would like to look at the the other 14 taking the scouts of the big six, there's a bit more of a talking point from match day 12 with Villa having visited Craven Cottage and walking away with zero points and eventually without a manager. That result saw the end of Steven Gerrard's reign as Aston Villa manager, having won only two of the opening 12 games of the Premier League season. The Aston Villa club statement was released was extremely short, which I think is extremely telling. Um, So here's the club statement. I'll just read it out for those that missed it. All the two sentences that it is. Exactly. It is easy to miss because... It's the Mr. Men book of uh, club statements, if I'm (laughs) honest. Here we go. Aston Villa Football Club can confirm that head coach Stephen Gerrard has left the club with immediate effect. A club spokesman said, We would like to thank Stephen for his hard work and commitment and wish him well for the future. I I mean, that is like managerial sacking statements 101. I mean, that's basically the the, the basics in there. Oh, it's it's announcing that he's gone, but it's not much else, is it? It's a template without any meat to the bone. Exactly. It's almost as if they gave it to someone and the person's sitting there going, I'm not actually sure how to fill in the rest of this. I'm not sure how. Send tweet. (laughs) Exactly. Well, let's start by looking at his record. So he's been there for... 38 Premier League games, which so in, admittedly split across two seasons. Yeah, effectively. He's played a whole season, though. Yeah. But 12 wins, 8 draws, 18 losses. So that works out as 44 points. So, in theory, survival form, I guess... But not really what Villa are looking for. So here's the wider point, which is... This is my thinking. It doesn't apply just to Villa. It applies to all teams. But I've heard a lot of pundits and journalists talk since Gerald's departure and then since the appointment and now the appointment of Unai Emery that they like that they say, "Oh, well, Villa shouldn't be down there. They should be challenging higher up, and fans expect more." Don't get me wrong. In- Every fan expects more from their team. Very rarely does a fan go, oh, we're way, we're way above our station here, do they? Like, it's kind of, they, yeah. fans aspire to achieve more and be better. But I don't like the statement, Aston Villa shouldn't be there. Because at the I end mean, of the day, go on. No, so yeah, I, I, I do get what you're trying to say. Like, it does come across as a little bit of sense of entitlement. I mean, Villa haven't been up that part of the table for quite some time. And by saying Aston Villa shouldn't be down there, are they then turning around, are people then turning around going and saying, well, Fulham and Brighton shouldn't be up there. Let's just switch them around because Aston Villa's a slightly bigger name in the history of football. It just, I just don't like the feeling that it gives. And also by going with the appointment of Emery going, oh, well, he's a manager that will take them forward and put them where they should be. Well, I'm sorry, they shouldn't be there unless they can get the points. Yeah, I mean, the table the table doesn't lie. Exactly. So they, far, they haven't season, been good. This season, after Gerald's departure, they had played 11, 
one, two, drawn three. So we're sitting on nine points, like prime relegation form. Yeah. And they'll go, oh, well, the squad's better than that. Yeah, that may be a case. And to be honest, I think that the players, it is have, 100%, a lot, yeah. the players have so much to answer for for this. Yeah. Because you can't tell me that the Aston Villa players that lost 3-0 at Craven Cottage are a completely different bunch to then went, who then went and won 4-0 at home to Brentford. No. That, to me, is the players being fed up with Steven Gerrard and wanting him gone. And it's almost as if that's how they've played the whole season with the fact that they don't like Gerrard and they want him gone. And it's actually really... It's just quite <laughs> icky. You do sort of say that, but I haven't... Like a lot of the social media posts that a lot of the Villa players put out um, oh, after but the game. At this point, it's all image, though, isn't it? I know, I know. It I, it might come across as image, but it 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 just you know that might be me just being sort of quite naive. But it does come across as though they had a lot of sort of um, yeah, we were quite sort of friendly and um, sort of saw Gerard as you know a big name and and someone who. Um, then why didn't they play for him? I, I I get what you mean. That some of the posts I've seen that there was the particularly after the Fulham game, there was the John McGinn one going, "Oh, we weren't good enough." And then when I think he's done something fairly positive about Gerard once he departed. Yeah. But realistically, the club have a media person. All of them also have management who deal with their social media. You're not going to get after Gerard's department. Tyrone Mings and John McGinn put tweets out going. Well, Ty- Tyrone Mings right. for one is not going to be putting up anything. Well, exactly, but they're not going to tweet out going, "I'm glad he's gone." He was a right scouse prick. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know that, but in comparison to what the club put out as a statement, and then seeing what the players are then put out, it it just it does seem a little bit of loggerheads to what the club and the, what the players are thinking. But that, again, that might be just me being naive and just you know, yeah, I get that everything's wants... rosy. Yeah, no, I, I get that, but. Saying that, going back to the Fulham result, I thought Aston Villa were actually really unlucky in that game. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen the highlights, and Christ Almighty, I think, um, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, Fulham are playing out of their skin right now, but three nil is extremely flattering. Yeah, what Aston Couple, Villa had to deal with is that the red card, the that, which one, penalty, that red card was questionable a, at my well, best. It's funny because you know it went to VAR, VAR turned it into a red card, and then it got rescinded. So I did wonder why I did wonder why he I didn't see that it had been rescinded. I did wonder he why um he was then playing against Brentford. I yeah. assume that they might have appealed it because you know if you appeal you can then like yeah. delay the suspension. So it went to VAR. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize this is actually. So that's a great endorsement of VAR. Yeah, the fact that they've spent another day looking at it because for me, actually, I, sh- I shouldn't I shouldn't say that it's not VAR. It's the people in charge. True. Like, that's one of the annoying things I, I get with people who say it's VAR, but it's not. Anyway, carry yeah. on. So, because I saw the I saw the highlights, and he squares up to him. He goes chest out, and for me, he didn't put he didn't go in with his head at all. There wasn't a head motion. No, no not at all. And part of me does go, well, Mitrovic didn't make the most of it. It's a bit it's a bit gamesmany, isn't it? Like trying mm. to make the most of it. To that extent, I can't really blame him. But the VAR referee should have done better than that and not declared it as a red card I thought that was very questionable and then the handball for the penalty is... I mean we've already seen one in the um, Arsenal-Liverpool game a couple of weeks ago where mm-hmm. that was pretty much a carbon copy of it 
It and seemed to that me... wasn't given a penalty. It's like kicking an exercise ball at a toddler from two foot and going, oh, yeah, why didn't exactly. he dodge it? <laughs> Admittedly, I thought it, the writing's been on the wall for Gerard, and we've spoken oh, yeah, 100%. about it for a while. It just seems like this was an excuse to then get rid of him losing 3-0 to Fulham. But I feel that they were actually quite unlucky to lose. Yeah. I don't think they were better than Fulham, but 3-0 is very flattering. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think as soon as I saw that result, I just... You would just expect it. I wasn't expecting pretty much immediately after the game, but you just knew that news was going to be coming because the run that they've been on and then losing 3-0 away to Fulham, that that's just I that had to be the final nail exactly. final nail in the coffin. And you know, fans were chanting him basically just get out of your club type thing. So yeah, I think that was easily the final nail nail in the coffin, and it proved to be so. So Unai Emery coming in. Um see what you can do. Yeah, so that was announced um, just yesterday, so the 24th, of uh, Emery taking over as Villa head coach. As managers go, that you can get, he's got a great track record of winning stuff. Yeah. So so what he has won as a manager... well, a couple of Europa Leagues by any he's chance? Won, he's won th- uh, three Europa Leagues in... 13, 14, 14, 15, and 15, 16. That's actually... Oh, wait, that was just with Sevilla. He then, then won yeah, it one again in 2021 with Villarreal. He was at PSG, which him winning trophies at PSG doesn't really count. Because it's a given, yeah. If you don't win, it's shocking. You get a sack, yeah. Um, but so he's got a history of doing well. He's definitely a high-quality manager. I suppose it's... You look at his record with Arsenal, it wasn't great. No, but I think there was also the, the whether or not the players understood his style and things like that. Mm. I, he, it was his first time managing in England, whether or not it sort of came across between sort of moving from Spain slash France into, you know, British football. There's always that sort of question, but he's given, he's already had one bite of the cherry. And he, he, to be fair to him, I think it was a what, like 55% win percentage that he had at Arsenal. So at Arsenal, yeah, he did have a 55 win win percentage which I suppose is it's slightly not inf- it's not but I suppose slightly inflated by the fact that they were in the Europa League yeah which so you, there's a, a good like six ten get, six wins to the final yeah they lost Arsenal. to Chelsea that was in Baku wasn't it yeah they lost to Chelsea in the 18-19 final that was didn't it. they yeah that was um, it so but strong win percentage there um, PSG of win percentage in the 70s which is the high 70s which is a given yeah so Good manager, good appointment. I don't think Villa fans could have hoped for anything no. better, to be honest. I think so, the only other name that could have potentially come in was Poch, but I, I don't I don't see what Poch seems mm. to be keeping quite on the down low at the moment, waiting for the right job. And yeah, he doesn't really seem to be linked to many things. So or he, no, he linked, but you don't really hear any serious rumours no. of um, of any club. No, so good appointment for them. I think that's uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do. Clearly, yeah. the players can play good football because they went and won 4-0 after Gerald's departure. They play good football as well. Exactly. And so we'll see how it goes for them. But good luck to them. And to be honest, with this appointment, I can only see them climbing the table. At the moment, they're three points off the drop zone. I don't really see them being any relegation danger. If Have they kept Gerard? It would have been touch and go for me. But I think there are still three worse teams than them. Yeah, absolutely. But but now they've got Emery. Should he hit the ground running and be half the manager he has been elsewhere, I could imagine they'll be absolutely fine. They've got good players, and 
yeah, relegation won't really be a concern for them. And maybe they will be where they should be by the end of the season. (laughs) It's all, all nonsense. Dislike it all. Anyway, speaking of teams down in the relegation zone, Nottingham Forest... Uh, it's it's such a confusing team for me. Yep. So on Saturday they went and beat Liverpool one 0 at home. Uh, a one year goal again. Once again, not the nicest of finishes. I mean, it was basically. Like, I mean, that game was basically like a carbon copy of what West Ham went through. Yeah, a lot of chances for the bigger team. In quote marks. Yeah. Um, but Forrest scored a scrappy goal. It, from a one-year. <laughs> yeah, from a one-year. So looking at the game as a whole, Liverpool had a million and one chances. They just didn't convert any of them. Yep. So I don't think Forrest's defence has been solved or fixed because the amount of chances that they should have conceded in that game was absolutely staggering. Obviously, they did take their one opportunity, and which has now given them their second win of the season but they're still very much rooted to the bottom of the table with just the nine Nine, yeah. I suppose for me, we look at teams that have started to make progress and we'll get into the kind of the relegation scrap a bit later. Leicester just won two games back to back against teams around them. I'm not sure how much it's benefiting Forest beating teams that are higher up in the table. So not not obviously they beat West Ham when West Ham were near the bottom of the table, but given like based on last season's finishings, they lost to Fulham, they've lost to Bournemouth, they drew with uh, drew with Villa, lost to Leicester, lost to Wolves, all teams in a, that we at least thought would be in and around the relegation zone come the end of the season and could end up looking that way, apart from maybe Fulham who are doing extremely well. They. It's not good enough beating just the big teams on one-offs. They need to be beating the teams around them, and they still no. haven't cracked that, have yeah. they? No, you say that. But, I mean, we did start at the top of the show talking about how a good couple of results can get you sort of climbing up the table. Yes, they're still rooted at the bottom of the table, but these two game weeks, a nil-nil draw against Brighton, and then one nil win against Liverpool, that's four points out of six. So that's, in terms of current form, that's pretty decent. For especially for what they've been through so far in the season, it's still, but still, they then got coming up. It's two clean sheets, true, but this it should not have been. It was a lucky clean sheet. Oh yeah, I, I know. Liverpool. There are there are good clean sheets and there are lucky um, clean sheets. So but... looking at their coming up games, Arsenal, then Brentford, and then Palace before the World Cup. So they've only got three games now. In ter- they need they need to be trying to get some points against Brentford and Palace here, don't they? If they yeah, I mean, if, if it did, come December, that, they want to look yeah. competitive to stay. For that Brentford game, it does at the moment the way things are going, it does depend on which Brentford side show up. Mm. Um, yeah, and completely. then Palace, I Palace have been good. Um, Once the last again, couple mixed, of weeks, I'm slightly bit disappointed mixed. about the weekend result against Everton, mm. but a good comeback win against Wolves. Yep. Um. So I, I do see that one going towards Palace. Arsenal, I just think, again, like, you, like I think you said correctly, targeting games against higher-up teams, especially those of the big six, it's not it shouldn't really be on your radar. The whole, re, the whole point of staying up or the whole way you stay up in the Premier League is by beating the teams around you, and that's what they need to focus on. 
Because in reality, if they go and beat all the, which they're not going to do, if they beat all the big six every game, they're still only 36 points. Yeah. <laughs> we know the 14 is the magic number, but yeah. I mean, if anything was to do that, that was just like hilarious. But Oh, relegated, but you beat all the big six. <laughs> Congratulations, here's your medal. Exactly. So, um, but a fantastic win for them. Uh, once again, City ground absolutely bouncing. Dean Henderson putting off some amazing saves as well. There were some great saves, but just the amount of chances they from set pieces as well. They looked so poor from set pieces defending them. Um, oh, the Van Dyke header! Yeah, Van Dyke, like f- uh, fifty pence head, because he. Why is he squaring it? I don't know. And then because he pulls one, does he pull one across? Oh, he then goes for a shot with his across the goal, like. On the half, yeah, or he something. tries to head it back across the goal. Uh, just... He had a good couple of chances to get. A ha- yeah. He could have got a hat trick, but yeah. So, but that's a big scalp to take for them beating Liverpool. Admittedly, a Liverpool that have been inconsistent. Um, yeah. I think looking at Liverpool's recent results of um, at midweek they beat West Ham, but it was quite a tight affair. If I'm being honest, wasn't it? I don't think you could say that West Ham were by far the poorer team in that picture. No, I mean we 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 did play well, but. Um... Yeah, it, it, 1-0 games are always going to be close and a bit mm. sort of nervy. And especially with the way Liverpool are playing right now, it was a nervy game. But yeah. uh, anyway. But no, um, yeah. So great result for Forrest. Good good luck to them. But they need to be beating the teams around them if they want to have a chance, don't they? That, so that is the key. That is that the key. Is very much the key for them. And Steve Cooper to, well, I was, saying, I was about to say to stay in his job. He's got offered a bumper contract, so he's not exactly. going anywhere soon. In theory, but this is the he? thing. So, like the, the patience with Steve Cooper could prove out to be an absolute masterstroke. Um, you do hope it works out for him, um, because the, everything that he's done so far for Forest, you just really like like it on paper. It's just the way the club is managed, sort of behind the scenes, that just is very confusing and very chaotic. That is sort of, I think, like maybe part, well, quite a big reason why they're down where they are right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that was one of the more positive results for the other 14 and a scalp of the big six having been taken. And the other one being Newcastle's Sunday afternoon fixture against Tottenham Hotspur at the new Shite Hart Lane. With the result ending 2-1 to Newcastle, good couple of goals from Newcastle there. Callum Wilson, absolutely. Larice. Marking off Larice in... Yep. So beautiful in the way in it was like Larice goes down like an absolute sack of shit. Um, pardon my French for the Frenchman, but he tries winning. Oui, it. Monsieur. Oh, he try he plays to the referee, doesn't he? Trying to get that foul. And the ref, I, I know the goalkeeper's union will probably come out in force saying that, but as soon as he steps out the box, he should be he's treated like an outfield player and he goes exactly, down, yeah, he goes down as if he's Harry Kane in the penalty area, doesn't he? Uh, it was kind of it was Pretty somewhat much. embarrassing, and then Miguel Almiron pops up again with another goal. CC Jagarilish. He's on absolute fire at the moment. So that's now his that well that is now his sixth goal of the season. Um, he's starting to become the player that Newcastle thought they signed all those years ago, isn't he? Yeah. Well, you say all those years ago. It wasn't that long ago, was it? Or am I just being really old? I think he's probably. Good two, like two and a bit. Yeah, two and a bit seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah, they signed. Just... They signed. Oh, they signed him in 2019. 
So wow. in January 2019. So he's coming up for three years. So, so he's been turn a turn a bit years. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Um, but yeah, like you said, he, when he came in, there was this. He was he looked very energetic and very sort of you know dedicated and willing to just charge down anything. Sort of would would run an absolute mile for you. But there was not much sort of finished like end product with him. He mm. sort of reminded me when he came in of. Um, like uh, Javier Hernandez, but without the goals. Yeah, I'll give you that. But now that he's sort of Eddie Howe's, I think Eddie Howe's coming in has just given him a whole boost of confidence. And um, half of the stuff I think that obviously Jack Greenish said has probably given him some sort of motivation just to sort of show him up a little bit. Um, and yeah, fair play to him. He's absolutely on a roll. I think he did he score the um, winner against Everton as well midweek? Oh, that is a great question for someone who might have the results up. So give me thirty seconds to yes, get the result. Yeah, it was because yeah. it was it was a banging goal. It was. Um, it was which, Almar, doesn't, yeah. which doesn't surprise. No, not at all. Not from a Newcastle player. Yeah, yeah. Um, left. I'm trying. Yeah, to it was a curling shot from twenty yards to beat yeah. Pickford. Yeah, yeah, he's on fire. Eddie Howe's obviously got a system that's really working for him, and he's coming up trumps with this result, putting Newcastle well. Last week we spoke about our Newcastle, the team we should be the main team we should be talking about as a threat to the top four in European places, and how Newcastle were getting boring because they keep winning games. So they've now won four in five, and the other game being a draw. So that's put them in fourth place in the Champions League spot. Admittedly, a couple of teams beneath them have games in hand, but exactly, you yeah. still need to win them. Um, they're the number one threat from the other fourteen, and it's Absolutely. really good to see. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I can't see. I think I can't see Newcastle sort of giving up on this so far. Um, partially because of the fact their defense is so good right now. Yeah, that back four is solid. Piping goal is just fantastic. And with the way they're scoring goals right now, especially with the way that Almiron's playing with uh, Bruno uh, Gamaro's playing so well, Joel Linton, all those names, they're really gelling now as a squad and it is yeah. great to see. And I can, I would be very surprised if they were to drop out from the top seven from this point on. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we looked at our preview pods, we said that they would be up there in that kind of challenging for the bottom yeah. end of the European places. But saying that, looking at how the big six are performing, I think there's a chance they could get sneak into definitely... There's a, I think there's a good chance they'll sneak into one of the Europa League places. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, sick. Chelsea got back-to-back draws. United are always going to be United how they've been the last couple of years. I think they're always sort of one game away from on a bit of a downturn. Absolutely. Liverpool not playing fantastically right now. And Spurs on, down, on a bit of a slide. So Yes, well, Spurs doing a Spurs. And I still think yeah. Arsenal being top of the table is, uh, is well... Table doesn't uh, lie. The table doesn't lie. But at the same time, if you look at the teams that they've played, they've kind of had an easier start than yeah. most others. Um, but to be honest, Newcastle, I think, will be up there. And for them, looking at their results so far this season, they have got um, they were well, sorry, they got the point at home to Man City back in August. Yep. They were unlucky to lose against Liverpool when they did um, at the end of August. They then got a point against Man U just the other week. And then now they've gone and beaten Tottenham 2 1. So yep. that for them is five points from four top six games. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, one, de- and one defeat in 12. Exactly. 
I suppose looking at where they did get draws, I know they, we've mentioned this a couple of times, but they've got got the draws against Bournemouth, Palace, Wolves, um, Brighton. When, yeah, Brighton right at the start of the sea near the yeah. start of the season. They'll probably be a bit disappointed with those, but they weren't losses, and I think no. that's the key thing. Having but... only had the one loss this season, that's put them in really good stead to and a really good foundation to build on. Yeah. Plus, I think it's a great show of the times for Newcastle when you're saying those sort of results are disappointments. Mm. It just does show how far... I mean, I say how far they've come. It's been a uh, year, just over a year, since the ownership was um, announced or the change of ownership was announced. So for them to have make, taken this step mm. between think, like 365 days ago is massive. I think even if you just go back 18 months and see what was happening under Steve Bruce. Exactly. And to be honest, having spoken to a a select few Newcastle fans, as much as at the moment you can look up and be like, oh, they're challenging top four. I think a lot of them are just relieved that it's a season where they're not in a relegation fight. They can just enjoy it. Exactly. They can enjoy it. They can enjoy the big results. They're not going to, they're never going to lose massively. No. Are they? Then, been set up so well by Eddie Howe that they're never going to take a thumping and they will challenge in every single game and you can see that they have because when their one loss was a one uh, their one loss was a 2-1 loss to Liverpool yep. and well, as we've said didn't necessarily deserve to lose it so good on them top four challenge and it's delightful to see and see if they, they keep it up exactly and they do have the benefit of not having European football this year to yeah, slow them that's down always then. a help always a help yeah well if you look at the teams around them that are currently up there the fixture congestion with their uh, with the midweek weekend fixtures is absolutely chaotic for some teams looking at uh, even West Ham so they played last night Monday night football they're then playing Thursday in their final home game of the Europa Conference League and then they're playing Sunday against Man U so that's three games in seven days. And if you were to expand that a little further and go the couple of days beforehand, they had Liverpool midweek. Yeah, so It's an absolute bonkers time for some teams and Newcastle at least don't have that challenge. So it's yeah. a great opportunity for them to really kick on. And it, the rate in which they've kind of started challenging, because I know everyone said, oh, they will challenge for these sorts of places three or four years down the line. It's happened really quickly. So yeah, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. And a couple more transfers in, who knows where they could be in a year's time. Well, this is the thing. While a lot of teams that have kind of been up there, if you look at like kind of Leicester, West Ham of recent seasons, they do have that tail end drop off, typically because they don't necessarily bolster the squad in January. It's difficult to do in January, though. It is difficult to do. But Newcastle have the power to. That is the then this what I think the big six should be kind of scared of. Yeah. If Newcastle suddenly have a striker injury crisis or they lose a couple of their defenders, they have the power to bring people in and it won't, I don't think it'll worry them at all. It'll no. just be about how well Eddie Howe can integrate them into the side. And he's yeah, done a much. very, and he's done a very good job with the squad that he's had so far. So yeah, really good. But no, um, top going from Newcastle and one of the highlights of the week than beating Spurs. And it was just amusing to see how they sussed Spurs out. I think a lot of teams are going to start Admittedly, Spurs have had a more positive start to the season, but I think teams are slowly starting to suss them out that under Conte, they've really only got one approach to the game, which is hit on the counter, and Newcastle just didn't give them an opportunity at all to do that. They were absolutely phenomenal. Joel Linton in the middle of the park, 
was absolutely incredible the way he broke up play constantly and uh, was just high energy for the full 90. So, Tom, we spoke about, well, over the last couple of weeks since Scott Parker's departure, that Gary O'Neill that had five or six games undefeated and yeah. suddenly went from Bournemouth looking like relegation candidates to then looking really, really strong. But then it's only taken two losses on the bounce to Southampton and West Ham. And suddenly they're only four points clear of the drop zone. Um, is this just a blip or is this more what we can expect from Bournemouth and that the season is actually going to be quite challenging for them? Uh, it's 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 a difficult one because, like you said, they have been on such a good run of late, um, especially well since the um, departure of uh, Scott Parker and the introduction of Gary O'Neill as, as interim. But these last two defeats, that was um, a 1-0 defeat to at home to Southampton and a 2-0 defeat away to West Ham. Like you said, it's left them four points above the drop zone, only one point above the likes of Villa and Southampton, who we've been just sort of discussing as, you know, teams that are potential like candidates for, for the drop. Mm. And then, this is what we said right at the top of the pod. These couple of, you know, if you have back-to-back defeats or back-to-back wins or something like that, your position in the table is so volatile yeah. that a Bournemouth side that we sort of we were looking at sort of praising the last couple of weeks, seeing the way that they've been playing, seeing them gradually being dra- dragged into it in terms of a rele- potentially a relegation scrap, you do start to worry a little bit just because you then have another look at the squad that at the start of the season you were saying looks weak on paper probably is going to struggle to stay up. And then the performances that I've put on the last couple of games prior to the two defeats, we're thinking, actually, they might actually have enough. But then you sort of then question yourself again, looking at those last two two games and thinking, actually, maybe they don't have enough. Well, so seeing them getting dragged back eventually into it, I, it doesn't help, especially with the fact that the announcement has been made yet for a new manager. It doesn't really help Gary Neal's chances, the fact that they are now being gradually dragged back into it but it is two games it is only two games what was the shocking thing for me was that looking at the results they've recently got admittedly quite a few draws in that undefeated run but they they scraped out a really good win against Leicester they beat Forest 3-2 but having been at the London Stadium on Monday night it was I was expecting a really good game of football. I was really excited under the floodlights. Rain was hammering down at times. I was looking for those really good like crunch nights of Premier League football. And it was a really poor game of football. And to be honest, I don't think it was a case of West Ham outplayed Bournemouth so much that Bournemouth looked poor. Bournemouth looked really poor and were really poor. And to be honest, West Ham didn't really need to get out of second gear. And that reflected in their play as well, because they weren't particularly good. It was a bit of a crap game, to be honest. Um, Obviously, VAR being one of the main talking points. But to be honest, even without those talking points and the um, questionable decisions made, Bournemouth offered nothing. And that's what I was most shocked by. I thought we're going to get a high-attacking Bournemouth team, really aggressive, and they were so far from it. I was just inc- from having been excited, thinking, "Oh, Bournemouth are on a good run." Gary O'Neill's cracked something here with this team. It's so disappointing. 
so disappointing from them that I went in and just watched a bit of a dud. And that's because West Ham weren't pushed by the Bournemouth side yeah. at all. I, I think it is one thing to keep an eye on the Bournemouth run, but as, as we've said, it is two games. Mm-hmm. Um, but their next game is at home to Tottenham, which, right. but in all fairness, you wouldn't look at that as a game at the start of the season go, they need to be picking up points. No. For me, it's the game after that, which is away at Leeds, which we're going to lead shortly. Yep. As we've constantly been saying, you need to pick up the points from the teams around you and Leeds are very much down there with them. And they that's, I suppose, losing to West Ham, lose it, and if they do go and lose to Tottenham, hopefully they don't. Hopefully uh, it's another, another scalp taken. But it's the Leeds fixture that they should be eyeing up, I guess. Um, yeah, I I think the point I think I was just event, um, trying to get to was that um, you know Bournemouth have been on such a good run for quite a length of what was it six or seven games that they went unbeaten. It was um, one, two, three, four, five. It was six, six. But there were one, two, three. There were there were four draws in that. Which are, right. are essential points to pick up. They're points to pick up and it's not losing the game. If you're not going to win the game, don't lose it. Yeah. Ultimately. And then for them to go and beat them for that length of time, I don't think for a side like Bournemouth, it's not, it. it's in an ideal world, you'd like to keep it up, but we're not in an ideal world and it's not sustainable to try and keep that, especially with the squad depth that Bournemouth have. So it, it might've been just a couple of games too many, especially with, you know, two games um, in the middle of a, uh, in, a, in a week effectively so uh, yeah we'd, we'd like to keep an eye out for Bournemouth um, obviously you know a bit of a soft spot for the other 14 pod the way Gary Neal has sort of conducted himself as interim manager um, mm. you don't like to see them sort of getting dragged into it but yeah it's just one to keep an eye out for yeah absolutely and well I think it's now a fitting time although I don't think they'll end up there um, I think we should really be having a look at the scramble for survival and the teams in the relegation zone as we speak after 11 slash 12 fixtures. Um, So we've already mentioned this pod. We've got Forrest, who, although their win against Liverpool, still only leaves them on nine points at the bottom. Above them, also on nine points, you've got Wolves, who, although three games ago now, they did get a vital win. It was then back-to-back losses against both Leicester, which was quite the thumping. It was a huge And thumping. then losing to Palace, who made a, uh, a really strong comeback on the Tuesday yeah. evening fixture. And then uh, finishing off the relegation zone, we've then got Leeds, who, wow. Leeds, one haven't won since August. They haven't won in quite some... Well, that was the Chelsea result, wasn't that it? That was the but, Chelsea 3-0, yeah. And then even just looking at the last five, it's one point from five games. So just the single draw in yeah. there. And, and a trip to Anfield next. Or you you don't really fancy them for that. So they're the three well, in the bottom three. And then above there, we've got Leicester, double, well, back-to-back wins. Southampton, now undefeated in three. And yep. then uh, rounding off, let's look at Villa. Also with a draw against Arsenal. The, the, uh, True. Weekend. That was um, well, a questionable draw there. Once again, more refereeing uh, decisions there. But as yep. long as they go for the other 14, I don't, I'm not too fussed. Yeah, and then rounding off the uh, bottom six, you've got Aston Villa in fifteenth with also twelve points, but under new 
managership. Uh, yeah. I suppose for me, looking at that relegation zone so far and the teams that are all down there, Forest, as we've said, covered many times, they need to beat the teams around them. They haven't been doing that. Wolves, how they much need is to sort it, it out? How much is it hindering them that they still don't have a manager, I reckon? I mean, Christ, you look you look at what Villa have basically just done in the space of uh, less than a week. Sat Gerard and within like what two or three days, Emery's through the door. Exactly. And you look at other teams that uh, got rid of managers this season. So, well, not that Brighton got rid of Potter, but as soon as he was out the door, they brought in Deserby straight yeah, that away. that was a relatively quick appointment. Yeah, exactly. And um, Bournemouth uh, has yet to still confirm a, a, a full-time permanent boss, but Gary Neal looks like the, um, the air incumbent to that position. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he's done a good job there. And I suppose for me, it's I don't think Gary O'Neill is the reason why he hasn't been appointed. I think it's this whole possible ownership change that yeah, we've, they're, which, which we've covered before is kind of yeah. tied their hands behind their back a little bit. But I'm not sure why Wolves haven't appointed. I know that um, the Lopetegui appointment where didn't go ahead. Um, well, but And then they were supposed to go after uh, Michael Bill um, during the week, but he's now turned them down. Um, that's the QPR boss. Um, we're linked to Nuno as well um, yeah. for a bit. So actually looking at the odds for the next Wolves manager, this uh, the article that I found is a little out of date, but Michael Beale was odds-on favourite, but he's decided to remain at QPR, I believe. Then next favourite is Nuno. Then, to be honest, looking at down the list of uh, outsiders, you've got the likes of, well, Steve Davis to keep the job, Sean Dyche, Andre Villas-Boas as 33-1. to 1. Now that would be rogue. And a couple of others who I don't really recognise. So, I mean, Sean not... Deitch was on the uh, Monday Night Football guest. Um, he was last night, so he was talking about um, his potential um, comings back to the Prem. So it could be one to look out for. He did. He didn't really seem to be. He didn't really seem to be rushing or chomping at the bit to get back in, though, did he? He said he would just no. take see what opportunities become available. Um, Famous last words from someone who's then going to immediately jump into a new job. Exactly. Uh, so, but looking at them, they've had Wolves have had a pretty rotten run. So, at the moment, looking down the line, you've got the bottom three at the moment. I'm unless there's some really poor run of form from the other teams. All the other teams have given me something to kind of go on that makes me think that they'll stay up. Yeah. Uh, Leicester's recent turnaround. Southampton have had, a, although. Dreadful start, a little bit of an upturn. The draw against Arsenal was good. Aston Villa now with Emery in charge. Unless it's Bournemouth dropping down, that bottom three needs to do a lot to start proving to football fans that they're not going to be the three that take the drop. Because yeah. I know they're not massively isolated on points, but, but they're isolated in the fact they look like the three worst teams in the league. Quite significantly as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so, agree with that. Yeah, so, well, if we look at Leeds, it's been rotten for them. Horrendous. Um, and Jesse Marsh, is he possibly the next out? Because you wouldn't you wouldn't bet against it, I don't think, at this rate. No, you wouldn't. And, well, firstly, it was a bit weird how Leeds fans were chanting for Marco Bielsa at the end of their most recent fixture. I did not hear that. That's mad. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. For me, it's such a cult and they're... What he did was he got them into the Premier League. He showed them a style of football that was great for them. But ultimately, he was probably going to take them down into the Championship again. Marsh has come in. 
They've invested in the side pretty well after losing two of their biggest players. Yeah. But their defence still looks so poor, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. You wouldn't say um, any of the transfers that they have brought in are what we'd classify between hits and misses. You wouldn't class them as misses, per se. No. But, but they needed more They needed more hits, didn't they? They needed more hits, and especially at the back. Um, I think they haven't... Have they really replaced uh, Calvin Phillips in that um, no, midfield role? not really. And I think they no. do miss that. So they've conceded 18 so far this season. Not the worst in the league um, by any is stretch. It still, is it still Bournemouth by age? So, so, um, so actually, it's quite interesting. So Fulham have conceded 22, which is quite impressive. Considering, Fulham, wow. Considering they're seventh in the league. Yeah. So looking at the highest conceders, uh, Bournemouth, yes, uh, 25. A lot of that skewed with the nine nil, but yeah, skewed with the nine nil, the a quarter <laughs> that a night, sorry, that a third of those goals came from one fixture. Um, then Leicester on twenty four, they've lost reasonably heavy, but the, in all fairness, their goal difference is only minus three, so they've scored a fair whack as well. Yeah. But then looking at uh, Southampton, have conceded a fair few, and that's without a nine nil. Surprisingly, uh, they've conceded Yet. nineteen. But then the bottom three, you've got Leeds conceded 18, Wolves conceded 18, but only scored five, which is the more damning. Yeah, statistic. that's the damning. Yeah. And Forrest conceded 23 and having only scored eight. And there, there are a lot of score losses there for Forrest as well, because if you think about it, their two wins were only one nil straight yep. buys. Yeah. Uh, they've, uh, but to be honest, I don't, at this point, I'll say it again. None of these three have given me reason to think that they won't be in the relegation zone come the end of the season. No, absolutely. We've, I suppose, we've talking, sorry. Okay, I suppose it's just a case of what changes need to be made. Leeds, there's a high ch- chance that they will change their manager, I think, at this point, given the fans' reaction to Jesse Marsh. Yep. Wolves are in the process of changing their manager. And Forrest aren't going to change their manager based if we're to believe that the board and the owner are behind Cooper. If they're fully backing Cooper, then yeah. Yeah. It's just a case of how do they change? I don't know whether with Forrest, it's just a case of keep waiting for the team to gel because they've got enough good players that should be able to keep them in the league. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's that argument um, again with Forrest, like the, the Villa argument on paper, they should be higher than they are based on the sort of players that they have in their squad. But when you bring a squad together like Forrest have, it's very difficult to gel straight away. And that's part of the reason why they're down where they are right now. Absolutely. Uh, and then looking at Wolves' issues, well, that's just, they do not score. They don't score goals. No. Um, I think they've lost, have they lost Jimenez now completely? Oh, so he can bought for the whole season. Either He's... way, it was a fair stretch of time anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, so... I mean... I think and... the, the the damning thing with Jimenez was unfor- he's just uh, his unfortunate injury against Arsenal um, a couple of years ago. Since then, he's just not been the same no, player not since. At all. And their replacement so far, Kalajic, their big signing, injured pretty much straight away. I don't know when he's yep. due back. And then, as bright as Diego Costa maybe looked in the first the, his first appearance for them, he's done absolutely nothing no. since. He looked, he looked, he's looked sharp in the two games during the week um, missed an absolute golden opportunity against Palace. He, I think once that first goal comes, it, it might start to sort of kick him a little bit out the backside to get him on a bit of a run, but mm. 
he, he needs that first goal to go in to get that confidence going for him. Absolutely. Uh, and well, and looking at Leeds, well, they're leaking them, aren't they? They need to show up the defence and it's just whether the squad is fit for the job and whether Jesse Marshall is fit for the job. And as yeah. we always say, it's not that we're calling out four managers to be sacked. It's just looks, unfortunately, quite likely that Leeds yeah, are the I mean, team that will next pull yeah. the trigger and sack their manager. That's the thing. I mean, like, like we said, the gap at the moment between the, the bottom three and the remainder of the league is only two points. But at this stage of the season, you, you can probably allow that to stretch maybe a little bit before you start getting a little bit of um, an itchy trigger finger. But mm. you just can't see these teams sort of turning it around right now. No, not at all. But we are only 12 and 11 for some teams games into the season. So they still do have plenty of time to turn it around. And we have seen stranger survivals take place, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. And now it's time for us to sit back in a comfy chair, pour ourselves a nice little drink, and welcome to Stats Corner. And welcome to Stats Corner. Welcome all to another edition of Stats Corner. So you and I, Reese, uh, were conversing as we do during game weeks, and you, you sent me through a, a photo of the league table Friday evening, specifically the bottom half. And there was a caption at the top reading, anyone worried for Midlands football? So for context at the time of the screen grab, uh, the bottom four were Villa, Wolves, Leicester and Forest, arguably all having tough starts, as we've mentioned so far to the season and good odds with the bookies for the drop. So, and yes, the table may have changed a little bit since then with uh, Villa climbing up and Leeds dropping down. But it got me wondering, and with most things Stats Corner related, I was sent down a rabbit hole. So what I thought was, has there ever been a season where the teams that went down were all from the same region? And surprisingly, I had to go back a fair way. For those of you sad enough like me that want to have a go at guessing, please pause the pod now. So in my mind, there's enough London clubs that it maybe could have been done before. But in ter- I can't think of any specific examples of when that could have happened, to be well, honest. It has been done before. Okay. But you have to go back to before the introduction of the Premier League. Those of you who were trying to guess, welcome back. The closest we have been in the Premier League era to seeing all three sides uh, relegated being from the same region was back in 2016-17 where Sunderland, Middlesbrough and Hull were relegated but as Hull really counts as Humberside and not technically northeast, I couldn't include it. So we have to go back even further. The last season where all teams that were relegated uh, were from the same region was back in 1983-84 and again it was a bunch of Midland sides going down as the original screen gap and the purpose of this stats corner suggested. So 83-84 saw us lose Birmingham, Notts County and Wolves from the top flight. Now, because as mentioned, I am quite sad and didn't really have anything to do that evening, I wasn't quite happy with that answer. And yes, those of you piping up saying that the Midlands can be split into East and West and Notts County is East and others are West, I'm about to get onto that, so pipe down. So the definitive answer to this grand question is even further back to 1970-71. It's that far back that only two teams went down. So I couldn't find a season where three teams went down, so I had to go. For, I had to settle for two. So that year, we lost Lancashire sides 
in Burnley and Blackpool from the top flight. So that was the end of that quest. So there I thought I was the end of my mission. But what did you then ask me to do, Reese, to send me further down the rabbit hole? Well, I figured that if you're going to look into teams from the same region that all got relegated together, and so we're not looking just at the miserable side of football, were there any times where teams that got promoted into the top flight that were all from the same region? So there was kind of a joint regional unity of happiness. Right. So again, being the sad person that I am, I accepted the challenge. Once again, those wanting to guess, pause the pod now. So what I found in terms of teams promoted as opposed to relegated is, is again, you have to go well before the introduction of the Premier League. And we're talking here again about two teams. I couldn't find a season where three teams got promoted, so I had to stick with two. So the season was, if you remember it well, 1966-67. Great vintage. Great vintage. I absolutely agree. And we had Coventry and Wolves were both promoted from the second division, I think it was called at the time, up to the top flight. So that was that. That was the uh, that was the sum of my boring Friday night. I hope that useless knowledge was a benefit. Let's see if we'll have a more up-to-date list at the end of the season. Who knows? We've discussed that so far in this episode. So that concludes this edition of Stats Corner. Next week, I'll be bringing back a feature we haven't done for a while. That's the other 14 alumni, where I look at legendary names of other 14 teams gone by. Oh, I suppose in terms of Midlands-ish, um, although Anna holds the North, isn't it? Thank you very much for that edition of Stats Corner. To be honest, I think I know this is my southern ignorance shining through. I would consider Hull kind of northeastern because it is on the northeast coast of England. Um, I know that there could be a fair amount of people from that region telling me no. But in terms of proximity to each other, Hull, Sunderland and Middlesbrough aren't that far away. So I think in terms of that is the closest to the Premier League era, and I think that's really interesting. Um, for the life of me, I think I thought just because the sheer number of London clubs that have been in the Premier League, there was a chance that there could have been a collapse of a couple of them all going down at the same time. But the one thing that sort of did strike out when me, you talk about that um, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, and whole season was the fact that sixteen seventeen doesn't seem that far ago. Yet Sunderland were in the Premier League at that time, and considering what they've been through, yeah, massive yo yo since hasn't I it? mean. I just go to show you how badly like much my short-term memory is, but yeah. Yeah, I, I I'm surprised. In I terms suppose... of recent years, I can't remember Sunderland being that close, but no, not at all. But well, they're now up in the championship and doing a good job, as uh, yeah. as we spoke about last week um, uh, on championship uh, prospects for promotion. I think they're sitting kind of around mid-table, which in the championship is well similar to how the Premier League is this season. They're a couple of wins from the playoff zone and a couple of poor results from relegation. Exactly. um, Ah, well, thank you very much for that short, sharp and extremely informative um, edition of Stats Corner. I feel feel much more knowledgeable now. Thank you very much. As always, you're welcome. Goals, goals everywhere. And some of them were sick. It is Goal of the Week. Goal of the week. So, Tom, we've had two game weeks, and unlike game week 11, where there was almost nothing to choose from, 
you must be like a small child on Christmas Day coming down the stairs and seeing the presents under the tree. There were so many goals for you to pick from for this week, weren't there? Oh, I was um, so excited. So, so I, off the top of my head, I can think of a load of absolute quality goals from this game week. So, uh, so can you tell me who your goal of the week kind of nominees and awards are going to? Like, there was such an abundance of great goals this week that I sort of had to then sort of think about the shortlist and trying to sort of draw it down a little bit. There are some good honourable mentions, but I've got effectively a short list of five for game week 12. And let me, but like game week 13, there was a lot of banging goals there. Um, so let me just count this up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have nine on the short list for game week 13. I'm you do, hang on, sorry, you do realize a short list, there's a key part of it in there. You've got a there's list, so, but yeah, it's not short. I know, in, in terms of some... goals that I can think of, um. Obviously, a one use for Forest against Liverpool was a was a classic. Um, I joke, um, but Everton um, McNeil scored a good goal in that. Uh, Leicester they DCL just... scored a good goal as well. Yes, DCL scored a good goal on his return, which, in all fairness, puts him in the England frame. I think yeah. if he keeps this up for the next couple of games, Leicester just know how to score bangers. Villa scored, well, they scored four, so some of them are good. And then the, his first was quite good. Yeah, the 3-2 between Leeds and Fulham, I'm sure, must have had a, a decent goal. I've got a goal. I do have a goal from there. That's Williams. So you do have a I've got a really tra- tough job this week. You, you, God, you're actually going to earn your crust. And by crust, I mean nothing, because we I, make nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I say match week 13 is going to be a difficult one. But ultimately, it's it's not. I mean, it's a big short. It's a big short list. Well, well. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's start with match week twelve. Let's let's go to twelve. Let's start. Let's start from right at the beginning. Of that. Let's start from the very beginning. That's a very good place to start. So I've got Zaha's uh, goal against Wolves, sweeping counter, and just a clinical sort of real calm under pressure uh, finish from Zaha. Oh, that was delightful, then, the way he let the ball roll across his body and then the you defender just went diving in. Effectively, it was like a penalty, wasn't it? Oh, it was It was unbelievable. But it was still you just great, knew he was going to score. Great counter. The ball into um, uh, Odson Edward was really good. Yeah. And the way he just rolled it across for him was... Eze bossed that game. His through ball into um, into Edward just he's, basically he's broke He's such a good balls. player. He's such a good player. Um, then conversely, I've got Triores against Palace. Again, nice... For for Wolves who don't score many goals, for them to appear on a goal of the week shortlist is pretty good for them. Yeah, that's um, true. Good, nice team goal and nice sort of headed finish from Triori uh, to finish it off. But by your standard, it is an away uh, it is a goal in a losing game. So it is. It yes. doesn't doesn't meet your criteria. No, it doesn't meet the criteria. It's on the shortlist. Um, but spoiler alert, it's not winning. Um. Then, Sorry, if a, if a header ever wins goal of the week, it needs to be a phenomenal header. Oh yeah, but it, it's more for the fact that it was a team move. Mm, no, it was as good. opposed to the as opposed to the header because anyone can score a header, uh, except Virgil Van Dijk. Screw him. Um, and then I've got Almiron's against Everton, which was his first time twenty yard curling effort past Jordan Pickford's, and then Harrison Reed against Villa, which I'm not sure looking at multiple angles whether or not it took a deflection. But it was just the fact that he collected the second ball and it was just a thunderous strike into the far bottom corner, which that... basically put Gerald in his deathbed for his um, managerial career at, uh, at Villa. That's the thing for me, that Harrison Reed goal was hit with such venom 
Yeah. And it made its way through all the bodies and still ended up fairly low in the goal, which was, I thought it was an unbelievably good, well-hit strike. Um, and the last goal to round off the shortlist for match week 12, or match day 12 rather, um, was uh, Harvey Barnes against Leeds. A um, couple of quick passes, which basically just opened up the Leeds defence completely. That just left Barnes just with the simple task of putting it past Melier. Because mm. it was that quick. That's when you know Leicester are playing well. When they're making quick passes like that and just completely opening up defences, that's when you know they're playing well. And then Barnes, Barnes basically just rolling it past Melier. Um, so yeah, a couple of you know, good number of goals there to pick from some real high quality. I've all already immediately crossed off Triori because it wasn't a losing effort. But to be repetitive and to be boring, but it was such a good goal, it has to be Armoron. Sorry, it has to be. Just yeah. the, the first time curling effort. I watched it when I saw the highlights. I did kind of go. Oh, it's another Newcastle winner. Yeah, yeah. And... Just knew straight away. That's okay. That's Newcastle winning get, uh, goal of the week again. No, absolutely. And it was from a good bunch of goals as well. Yeah. Um, what I think is quite amusing, though, out of the goals in that list was that Traore got a nomination. Not because you nominated him, but for the fact that I think two weeks ago we badmouthed well, him we so much. Um, I know. We, we were so critical about him being awful in every way imaginable. And then he goes and yeah. scores... Uh, in all fairness, it was a, it was less about him scoring the header, more about the play leading up to it. Exactly. Um, but ultimately, it counted for nothing. So we're still right. Traore, you're garbage. Get better. Yeah, get better, bro. Um, and then game week 13, you've right. got another plethora. Of I do have a plethora. And, and I it will... is such high quality here. Right. It is quite a plethora of goals, so I'll try and um, run through those as quickly as possible. So I've already mentioned, like, DCL against uh, Palace. Yep. Basically bullied the defender. So he's basically said, get off me. I'm getting that ball and just putting it past Gaeta to put Everton 1-0 up. I think it was the, the score at the time. Yep. The Dwight McNeil goal against Palace also. Everton scored some bang goals in that game. They did. Um, lovely 1-2 with the Wobie. Yeah, that's what really got to me. Like the fact that it's the one-two, it's yeah. the classic one-two on the edge of the box. The sort yeah. of thing that defenders just shouldn't be allowing to happen, but it was yeah. so well executed and really nice finish from McNeil. And he's been on good form recently. Uh, he has goals once again for um... a player that I was completely prepared to shit on when Everton signed him because I thought he would be a good squad player. And in all fairness, he has proven to be just a good squad player so far. Um, he has. His performances have really picked up and fair play to him. He's done yeah. a good job for Lampard's side so far. So yeah, lovely goal by him. Then I've got Trossard's against City. One, because it was against City and it was just such a strong strike to beat Edison at his near post. Mm. Obviously, so give like... Brian a chance, but it was in a losing effort. And sometimes you look at near post goals and just think, how... That's the thing. When you first see it, you kind of go, oh, should Edison be doing better? But then you actually then look and see the venom he put behind it. It's such a well-struck hit. Yeah. Um, admittedly, is against Harland FC, so it was all in vain. It was all in vain, but it so was not really, going to win. No, but it was a really good goal. I, yeah. yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it as a goal in the, this week. Yep. And then I've got Danny Ings' first against Brentford. Lovely, quick team move, cutting Brentford to pieces and just a clinical finish from Danny Ings, proving that he is getting back to his best and just trying to put all the injuries beside him, trying to get some form going, just to try and think for Gareth, just to try and have that sort of 
idea in his head, in the back of his head, that he's available for England. But I, I can't see it happening, unfortunately. Not but... that, sorry, not that I currently have a say in uh, who wins goal of the week because it is entirely your decision. Am I allowed to veto goals if I feel completely outraged by them? For example, I don't think a Villa player should be winning goal of the week for the next couple of weeks purely on the basis that they didn't even try to score good goals when they were playing under Steven Gerrard. You're not wrong. And the board uh, and the committee that decides goal of the week will consider it. Okay. The the one-man board and committee. Okay. Yeah. I've run a tight ship here. That, that's, um, that's fine. Um, as long as uh, my opinion is uh, considered even it's in been the no, tiny it's been no, I'll, I'll take. I'll take an, I'll be. I'll be taking yeah. a noted. That's it, fine it, by it's, me. It's Formula One race control uh, noted. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank um, you very much. And then I've got Williams against Leeds. Now Williams finish. It, ultimately, it's not a great finish. It's nothing to sort of shout. It's not nothing to write home about. But it was basically all the work that Harrison Reed done in the build up. That yeah, that's true. I, I thought was um, that sort of led me to think that that should be on the shortlist. I don't think it's going to win goal of the week because there are some other good goals coming up. Uh, the, into, for me, minute, there is but... only one winner here. Once again, it's not my decision, but there is only one winner on this goal of the week. But I'll I, let you I, go I, through your final I, few. No, I think I'm on the same list. page, but yes. Um, I'll skip the Leicester Wolves game to then just quickly mention Almiron's goal against Spurs. Just some individual goodness there. Um, just more some great stuff from him. CC Jack Grealish. Um, <laughs> Wilson's goal might get an honourable mention, but I'm not including it just because effectively it was in he had to do a bit of a chip to get it over the back line it was a really good finish it was a good um, finish but you've got wrong. to remember he did uh he did commit an act of gbh on hugo Lloris to set himself yes. up the opportunity um, gk union united um <laughs> and then we go on to, like leicester's goals against walls i mean that was like a goal of the week competition in itself um so i've got barnes against um wolves obviously and then madison's goal as well but ultimately, there is only one winner. That is only one winner this week for match week 13. And that is Yuri Tiedemann's. What a goal. Yeah. It, it, when I saw it, I was like, well, that's it's not a I mean, that was the at this easiest point. decision ever. Absolute oh, thunder bastard. He, know, he knows how to hit them. And that's yeah. the thing. He, like, it's just reminiscent of his goal in the FA Cup final. Exactly. Leicester... Leicester haven't been playing fantastic, but they have scored a fair amount of goals this season, unfortunately conceding quite a lot. But none of them even get close to the quality of this one. It's no. such a well-struck hit and everything through it. And as soon as it leaves his boot, you're amazed. As like It's one of those, as long as it's on target, it's hitting the back of the neck. Because the keeper, yeah. with the pace on the ball, the keeper's only can only really flap at it, can't he? It's such a good goal. Yes. Um, so yeah, Yuri Tillemans, you are the winner for match week 13 goal of the week. Actually, like fair play, one of the most competitive goals of the week we've had in a while as well. well um, and somehow th- he was 13 able... wasn't because there was only ever going to be one winner. No, well, no, but that's the thing. He's won a goal of the week in a highly competitive week, but he was still head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah. yeah. So good on you, Yuri Tielemans. That is a great goal. And well, hopefully another sign of uh, Leicester on a bit of a revival. So well done them and well done Yuri. And now moving on to the hottest competition in town. It is our Fab Four predictions game between myself and Tom. 
Tom going into game week 12, the room, it was pretty close. You were on 11 points. I was on 15 points, where three points are awarded for a correct score and one point awarded for a correct result. We had uh, two games from each of the game weeks that just passed. So we were predicting Fulham Villa, Leicester Leeds, Everton v Palace and West Ham v Bournemouth. Um, From the outset, I'm going to just congratulate you on getting three of the four results in the right direction. Um, I was on a perfect run until you inky swat right at the end. Yeah, you were looking really good. So if we go game by game, so Fulham Villa... I thought it was going to be a draw. Obviously, you predicted the end of uh, the end of Gerard's reign and went for a two-one. With Fulham then winning three-nil at home to Aston Villa. So then our second game was Leicester v Leeds, with uh, the final result being two-nil. You once again predicted a <laughs> a two-one because original, um, yep. and then. I thought Leeds were going to have a bit of a resurgence, stupidly, uh, and went for a 3-1 Leeds win. So you got one point for that. Then Everton Palace. We both thought that Palace were going to do something special, but Frank Lampard's team with their solid defence held strong and kept a clean sheet and beat Palace. Tom, if you'd kept to your your routine of awarding all home teams 2-1 wins, you would have got yourself another point. I know. Going for the away I just win. Palace, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Everton were a bit of a bit of a poor run. Yeah, I think it was like two or three games on the bounce of their lost. Mm. So I think I was in the right sort of frame of mind with my I um, think, prediction. I think that's fair. Um, and then the final game, the Monday night football, West Ham at home at the London Stadium to Bournemouth. <laughs> you went for a two-one uh, result, which got you one point so you picked up across uh, out of the four games you picked up three points guessing the correct result in each of the Fulham Villa Leicester Leeds and West Ham Bournemouth games so it was looking pretty good for you yes um, it was clawing back pretty much most of the points and bringing it back to just a one point deficit between us however I predicted with West Ham to win 2-0 and as much as it was a rubbish game to be at and the football was awful, I did get the two. <laughs> I did get the two never nil correct. Penalty. Absolutely never a penalty. Um, I thought it was a questionable penalty. I thought Zuma's goal was very questionable, and I think the only reason that was allowed was because Kara's quite blatant handball was in the phase of play before. I still think well, that's and VAR hates cats. True, <laughs> and VAR hates cats also. Um, so that 2-0 win for West Ham and David Moyes' men meant that I managed to clinch a vital and much-needed three points in the Fab Four game. So that's left us well after done. game well week done. 13. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and that's reignited our strong record of predicting West Ham results correctly. So that has left us after game week 13 of you on 14 points and myself on 18 points. So... Still got a lead, but it is a slender lead. Before we go on to our predictions for the game week coming up, Tom, can you tell us what fixtures we have to look forward to in the weekend coming? So the upcoming fixtures for match week 14 of the 22-23 season, we have the tale of two cities in the Saturday lunchtime kickoff between Leicester and Manchester City. Spurs spend a day at the seaside when they face Gary Neal and Bournemouth. It's the Battle of the Bees and Wolves at the Brentford Community Stadium. 
We've got the other 14 saviour turned traitor, Graham Potter Derby between Brighton and Chelsea. Patrick and Ralph face off when Southampton travel to Crystal Palace. It's Anton Deck versus the Prince of Wales when Newcastle play host to Emery-led Aston Villa in the last of the three o'clock games. Frank and Everton travel to the capital to face Marco in his high-flying Fulham. It's the James Milner derby in the Saturday night football when Liverpool host Leeds. A battle of two of England's best between the sticks in Aaron and Dean as Arsenal play Forest. And David Moyes returns to Old Trafford to round off the game week as United play the Hammers. Thank you for those. We have some great games there. And I was going to try and be positive about some options of uh, some scalps being taken. But given the lineups uh, that we've got going on, we've got Leeds away at Anfield, looks unlikely. Forest away at Emirates, looking unlikely for any points. Uh West Ham don't have a great record at Old Trafford. And um, yeah, the other three also look like quite tough fixtures. Um, it's quite amusing that you called uh, Liverpool v Leeds the James Milner derby because our first game that we're going to predict here is the James Milner derby with Newcastle v Villa. <laughs> he That boy gets around. He does um, get around. Okay, so Newcastle v Villa. Newcastle, obviously, very strong run. Villa with their new manager. Oh, the new manager bounce. What do we do? So I'm thinking that Aston Villa will play better than they did um, against Fulham. But I can only see... I think Newcastle won't... They'll find it tough. It'll be a cagey affair, but they'll probably scrape through. And I'm going to go with a scrappy 2-0 win. You're so annoying as you were voicing what you were thinking. I was going through my head. I was going... Oh, well, you know, Newcastle defensively really, really solid. I don't see them conceding, but I can see them getting a good couple of goals because their attacking's fine. So I was going to go for a 2-0 as well. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to break tradition here. I'm going to go for a 2-0 just so we can even... That's fair. No, that's absolutely fair. Um, for that, you, you can take the next guess. Perfect. So Palace-Southampton. Um, I was trying to think of a Derby link here to, uh, to go for these two, but I couldn't for the life of me... Did Jason Punchin play for Southampton? Yes, he did. Because oh. Jason Punchin, he went for a shit. Yes. So the Jason Punchin derby at Selhurst Park. Um, so Palace Southampton. This was once again another fixture on this run of Palace games that we're going, they need to be getting good points here and they have done a good job of it so far. A couple of small slip up. The last game week was slightly disappointing for them. Um, but... I think it will be a Palace win um, and I think they are going to win 3-1 again. That's the scoreline they like. I think they've won a couple of times 3-1 this season. I'm thinking on the similar li- uh, wavelength to you, but I'm going to go for a 2-1 Palace win, but I think Southampton will score first and Palace will do their usual and come back Ooh. from 1-0, 1-0 down. Nice. Okay. So then at the Brentford Community Stadium, we then have Brentford v Wolves. Um, I am going to jump in here and I'm going to say that Diego Costa is going to find his scoring boots. Brentford, my, I suppose my bigger thing here is Brentford don't know how to defend. Wolves are struggling to defend. So I'm going to think it, I'm going to go with a 3-2 win to Wolves. I think it's going to be chaos. I, I like your thought of chaos. And I'm sort of thinking along the same sort of same sort of lines but Brentford will have a little bit of a bounce back Tony will have his shooting boots on and it'll probably be a battle between Tony and Costa um, in terms of 
banging the goals. But I like your idea of chaos, but I'm going to go the other way round. I'm going to go Brentford three, Wolves two. Nice. I know you said a battle of Tony uh, Tony V. Costa. It really makes me think of just some like bricklayer who uh, went and got a coffee and it was too hot and spilled himself on it. And he's got some lawsuit against a, uh, <laughs> a coffee tree. Tony V. Costa. <laughs> I love it. So, and then we have Fulham v. Everton, which, um, to be honest... I wouldn't have normally. I wouldn't have picked this other than for the fact that we've only got four games that don't involve a big sixteen this game week because uh, none of them are playing each other. So Fulham v Everton. It's not a game that particularly excites me, if I'm honest. Although no. Fulham have been on a really good roll and are still doing well. They're kind of well. They're still seventh. Um, Everton being in twelfth, but Everton stopped the leaking and uh, ended up uh, winning their first game in four in the last game week. So. Where do you think the goals are going to go in this one, Tom? Right. So Everton, typically solid defensively, especially with recent weeks. Um, obviously, minus the Spurs and the Manchester United game. Kept a clean sheet last week. Fulham have been flying high, but it's whether or not they can keep that, whether or not they can keep it going. I am sort of edging on the side of caution, trying to sit on the fence here, and I'm just going to go for a standard one all. You've gone for a draw, you absolute. Yep, <laughs> I've done that. So I was going to go. Guy. I was going to go for a nil-nil. <laughs> By uh, all means, do it. No, you know what? The, the, the score could still be correct. True. Um, I'm instead going to go for just a one-nil Everton. Ooh. Oh no, because Andreas Pereira's scoring. Mitrovic Mitro is good. Carrera, penalties. Reed's playing well. Williams scoring now. Well. Uh, and then Everton, DCL's back. Oh, it's a battle of the big men. It's either going to be nil-nil or it's going to be like a four-two. Oh, this is difficult. I'm going to go. I'm going to go surprising. I'm going to go three-nil Everton win. Is that your final answer? Oh, I don't want it to be. But yes, I don't like this game anymore. It's too much pressure for me. I'm not cut out for it, even though I am so much better at it than you. Or oh, just a small flex there. Um, we are still looking for suggestions for the forfeit. Um, I think while it's still pretty tight between us, Tom, um, we're open to any and all suggestions because there is a high chance either of us will be uh, absolutely we're on the receiving end. No, neither of us are that good that we're miles clear. So do get your suggestions into at other 14 podcast on Twitter or email us the other 14 pod at gmail.com. That is the other one four pod at gmail.com. So yeah, we will keep this battle going for the rest of the season. And oh, it's really hotting up now, still staying as close and we're picking up points. It's uh, really exciting. Um, but that brings us to the end of this episode of the Other 14 podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode with Tom and myself. Please subscribe and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Do recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans. We are now available on all good podcast platforms, including Google, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, it is goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. And we will see you next week on the Other 14 podcast.